Hello everyone and welcome to Africa Design Radio. My name is Chibweze Wuze, your host. Africa Design Radio is an audio journey that explores the world of design and how it is shaping the future of Africa. In each episode, we will explore ideas, histories, and profiles of leading design professionals, creatives, and thought leaders to understand how their work is creating an inclusive and sustainable society for Africa. Together, we can discover ideas on topics such as music, art, architecture, fashion, product, graphic, and furniture design in an engaging and enjoyable manner. The show provides a collective platform that seeks to entertain and educate listeners on the fascinating ways design is impacting our lives daily. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone, I'm Chibweze and you're welcome to another amazing episode of Africa Design Radio. On the show today, we have a safety education advocate with a passion for intentionally grooming a safety conscious generation. And we will be talking about her journey as an activist, the coronavirus, her new mobile app called the Safety Chick Compass that was designed to suit the African context and the impact she hopes to make through this app. Welcome to the show, Gochi. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. Gochi Obiegu is a safety education advocate with a specialty in simplifying complex safety terms to her audience. Her safety movement focuses on training and creating unique safety education products and events for African children and educators to intentionally groom safety-conscious children. Using the Safety Chief platform on social media, she engages in safety advocacy. She is a self-published author of the illustrated child safety storybook series, The Adventures of Muna, which is available on Amazon and has sold in 11 states across Nigeria and eight countries. She's the convener of the annual School Safety Summit, where relevant stakeholders profile solutions to safety challenges affecting school children. Ugochi is a Yali Regional Leadership Center Fellow for Emerging African Leaders and was a finalist for the McKinsey Next Generation Women Leader Award. She's also a Tony Elumelu Entrepreneur and a Mandela Washington Fellow. Your profile is quite impressive, you know, considering you have a full-time job as an air hostess. How do you find time to do the advocacy work in safety education that you're so passionate about? Okay, so um, I left the airline a few months ago, but prior to leaving the airline, I had done this for over three years. So what happened is I had to do a lot of planning and time management because, I mean, if um, I have flights, right and of course my work was number one so i had to always fix everything around my work mm. so when i'm working um when i'm working maybe in the morning i could um squeeze in some work later in the day the advocacy or maybe doing a research or writing or preparing you know mm-hmm. then if i'm working in the evening i could make use of my early morning times and then when i really had major projects i used my off days and my leave for example every year when we had a school safety summit i always went on leave so that i would be able to focus and do all the running around involved with that mm-hmm. so a lot of planning and time management had to go into it because sometimes i'll return from flight maybe at night and i know that i'm working in the evening the next day so i have to use this period at night to maybe read catch up on some work prepare social media posts you know i just had to do a lot of planning so it was really tight but somehow i was able to maneuver it properly 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I've been really curious, right? Um, why did you choose safety? I mean, there are a lot of, there's a plethora of issues plaguing Nigeria and indeed Africa. Why safety? Okay, so, uh, well, initially, I didn't know that that was going to be the case. When I became a safety officer in flight operations, because I was a cabin crew in the airline, right? Okay. So when I became, my boss made me a safety officer in 2013. I really liked it. And in that's in addition to my cabin crew um, role. Mm-hmm. So I, I I would um I would read about it, select doing certifications, working during my holidays just to learn so much, you know. And I loved it. So I actually wanted to pivot from um, aviation safety to oil and gas safety because I mean everybody mm-hmm. says the money in safety is in oil and gas, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was like about 2014, but yeah. um. About towards the end of 2015, a lot of combination of activities actually made me decide that I was going to go this other route. Okay. The first was my mom in a, in a road accident some years earlier. Oh, wow. And uh, major problems I noticed at the time was I knew what to do because I'm a trained first aider. But people mm-hmm. on the scene didn't know what to do. Mm. After that, there was a case where um, people died in... Um, or in, they got injured in a, a biscuit factory somewhere. The okay. owners locked them at night. There was no exit and the fire started at night. There was also a case of a supermarket that had a fire incident. And then I would see stories in the news of maybe families dying due to um, generator fumes mm-hmm. or petrol and the thing exploded because they didn't know that you should keep space. You don't have to fill it up to the brim, you know, little, little things like that. So it was a combination of seeing those things in the news, my mm-hmm. mom's death and it's a incident that made me realize that there is actually a knowledge gap. Yeah. I worked in Africa and I saw how say, being safety conscious, having safety systems helped to reduce safety incidents. So I thought if people had a little bit more information, just maybe, you know, just maybe accidents would be reduced. And that's what made me to start um, sharing information about safety in a simple way that the non-safety professional can understand. Because among the safety professionals and maybe those working in certain sectors, we know what to do, right? Mm. But what about the other people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so that's why. Yeah, so, I mean, in my research, you know, of people who have gone on to do remarkable things, there's always a personal story to their drive for the solutions that they try to create for society. And I can relate to that on, uh, on so many levels. Um, tell us about yourself, your background, where you grew up, where you went to school. Just give us a bit, a bit of, uh, of, of an introduction about um, who Kochi Obidebu is. I was born in Kano, right? Before, um, I think after the religious crisis, then in 1993, my family had to relocate to Lagos because we were the, all the children were really small. So my parents had to bring us down here. Uh, I grew up as an intelligent child. I got into secondary school very early at, I think, oh, wow. about age nine. And I was a pioneer set in my secondary school. My secondary school was Air Force Comprehensive mm. School okay. in Aquaibom State. So maybe because of my composure, I don't know, I was made oh. assistant head girl oh, wow. from Jess's okay. one. So I held that position for mm-hmm. five years. 
So you've <laughs> always been in leadership? Yes, I have since age nine. So leading people, achieving results, making things work, mm. all those things come to me naturally because I did mm. them every day for years, you know. And there's something about doing something it's always. Like it just nature, becomes yeah. like your nature. So whenever my friends, exactly. So for instance, when my friends reach out to me and they have a problem, I'm already thinking how it can be solved. What's the next step? And sometimes they're like, sometimes I just want you to just <laughs> listen. Don't solve any problem. Okay. <laughs> you know, but I'm always, I'm always into that, mm-hmm. you know, that mood, you know, trying to work things out and all. And I'm learning that, you know, sometimes, you know, just listen and hug someone and, you know, so all those things work together. Okay, so then from secondary school, I went to the University of Ibado. I studied communication and language arts, and I was quite a very intelligent student also. As a matter of fact, I think there was a year I won most influential oh, student wow. in my class. Then my family was a happy and a content place. When we were younger, we, I would say we were born with a silver spoon, but it got lost along yeah. the way, you know, Nigeria, <laughs> Nigerian environment yeah. factor, right? But regardless of that, you know, my mom made sure that we all learned to be content. You know, she made sure that we were able to find joy in our company and in the little things. So we would have situations like maybe during the holidays, we'd all be together in the sitting room. Everyone would be jitting about their boarding mm. school experiences. You know, my mom would also give us to mm. she also attended a boarding school. And so we'd all jit, mm. we'd all laugh, you know. So we, we, we had this experience of being able to jist and have fun amongst yeah. ourselves, even if there is no light. So, you know, it's something that became a part of us because, you know, growing up now, everybody is big. We are still able to congregate, for example, on a WhatsApp video mm-hmm. call and G's or on a WhatsApp mm. or even in person, you know. So even during the holidays, everybody is home. You can, you can feel that bond. We're happy and our happiness does not come from having things. So even though, yes, there is money and maybe there are things that you can, you know, mm. but that's not actually the focus. You know, that's not what actually makes us happy. Just being with one another and gisting, you know, is, is good enough for us. So I think that was a really good thing that my mom did because it made mm. us supportive of one another. And you know, that's why when I have my school safety summit, for example, my dad always shows up. Everybody that is my sibling shows up to oh, help one way or the other. And when people see pictures on social media, they're like, oh, your family yeah. is so supportive. That is oh, what good. we know to do. Good. You know? <laughs> so even though my mom is late, I'm happy that we have that aspect of our family because we, 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 this comes to us very easy, you know, and I know that that's not the case it's in some other families. I mean, I, I have friends that we have certain conversations. So it makes yeah. me really grateful that we oh, have great. this. I mean, you know that with the coronavirus, it will be hard for us to have this conversation and not talk about that. Now, living <laughs> safely is now a matter of life and death. I mean, everybody knows that. Would you agree that people respond better to chaos rather than logical reasoning? Because now people are really making an effort to live in a safe environment by washing hands, social distancing and all that. What's your opinion about this? Okay, well, I would say that this actually varies from person to person, right? We have those that when you tell them something about safety, they they take the precaution and they begin to plan ahead. And then we have those that Mm -hmm. until it is at their door, (laughs) that's the Mm -hmm. only time they are going to take action. And I think that's Mm. the case for majority of Nigerians, you know, and that's why we've been doing a lot of advocacy, trying to let people know that you don't have to allow things to happen. You don't have to allow things to come to you first, you know, before you begin to make all the plans or Mm. put precautions in place. I always say it's better to have a knowledge, you know, plan ahead and not need that plan or that knowledge. Than not have anything and then you need it Mm. and then there is nothing you can do because, you know, 
in an emergency, I always say that um, time and um, okay. knowledge is very important. If you have the time and you do not have the knowledge, mm. something bad would happen. If you have the knowledge and you don't have the time to act, something bad will still happen. So you need both of them. And so, yes, we have these people who always want everything to almost go into chaos, you know, before they understand yeah. that this is a serious issue. But then we also have the minority who get the information and then they start planning ahead and all that. All right. Um, so let's talk about social distancing for, for a moment. Now, I mean, obviously, it's a safety measure that was, you know, um, created to curb the spread of the virus. However, do you think that it is an appropriate response for us as Africans, you know, considering that we have a communal style of living. Okay. So the thing is, it's not, whether it's appropriate or not, that's actually the safest thing for every one of us right now. So we just have to find a way to make it to um, fit into this, our communal style of living. And this is why I always advocate that when we learn something about safety or we are taking safety precautions, it's not just enough for us personally to know. We also have to ensure that the people around us those within our circles of mm. influence also know. Because you see, the thing about accidents and emergencies is the action or the inaction of your Absolutely. neighbor can also put you at risk. So if you know all the safety measures, they're doing everything, but then your family members are going out and they're not maintaining social distancing, they would bring something from outside and bring it right into this, your house that you have made mm. into a controlled environment. So you see, even though, yes, um, we have this communal style living, like, for example, I read a post that the person was trying to explain if somebody, for example, came yeah. in from the UK and before the person would get, get to the person's house, and let's say this person is the, a carrier of the virus, before the person actually mm-hmm. gets to the person's house from yeah, the airport, sure. the person would have to pass through this, our African community. For example, the person has to say hello to the Uber mm-hmm. guy that will pick him or her at the airport. And maybe before the person steps into the Uber, he sees, oh, a long-time um, classmate or a schoolmate. A person stops to say hello and then there is a mm-hmm. hug and then there is, you know, the person moves, moves from the airport in that car to the house. And of course, maybe if you live in a house with neighbors and you are that friendly person, mm-hmm. your neighbors want to come and say hello to you. And then of course, so you see, from the airport to the house, you have already come in contact with several people. Yeah, sure. With several people. Uh-huh. So it's important that regardless of whether it um, affects our, our communal style or not, this is actually the okay. safest thing to do right now. And it's in our best interest to practice it and ensure that those within our circles of influence okay. also practice all it. All right, thank you. So as a result of the virus, we've all made some lifestyle change. Which of these lifestyle changes mm. do you think we should continue even after the virus is defeated. <laughs> okay, so for that one, that will be constant mm-hmm. hand washing. Constant hand washing, sneezing okay. correctly. You see, most times we actually have a widespread culture of people oh, sneezing yes. into their hands. And when they finish, they probably just mm-hmm. wipe their hands on their clothes if there is no water around them and then they move on. But um, at least now people are now more conscious that that is an ineffective yeah. way to wipe <laughs> to wipe mm-hmm. off um, your hands, you know. Then, of course, um, also touching of faces. You see, this touching of faces, I realize that we tend to touch our face a lot and we don't even know that we do it. It was actually this coronavirus thing that made it more obvious because after this period, I began to observe myself and observe other people in person and even on social media. You know, somebody is doing a video on social media and, you know, and of course, a lot of people are doing videos now and you could see that they touch their face, they maybe touch their nose Mm. or they touch their forehead. (laughs) You know, it it just comes um, to everyone naturally, you know. So, one of the things um, 
the things I would really appreciate each and every one of us to continue to do, even after the pandemic, is we need to wash our hands always. We need to begin to sneeze correctly, you know, sneeze into our elbows, sneeze into handkerchiefs and dispose them, sneeze into tissue paper and dispose them. And then, of course, we should limit touching right, our faces. Great. So um, let's talk about the safety cheek compass. So I tried to download the app and unfortunately it's not available on the Apple Store. So for now, it's only available on the Google Play Store, yeah. right? Um, no, that being said, what is this app about? Yes. And you know, what do you hope to achieve with this safety cheek compass? Okay, so as the, um, as the name compass implies, it is something that is supposed to provide direction. So I wanted to create a one-stop hub where information that suits our unique African context can be got in a simplified way that anyone can understand and be able to use from the comfort of their mobile devices. So whether it's um, teachers, parents, non-safety professionals, there is something for everyone, mm. even for children. So we have um, blog articles, they are written in a simple way. So no use of um safety jargons that the everyday man may not understand, use of um, pictures, use of videos. So we have um, articles, we have podcasts, we have um, books, free books and paid books. Then we have online courses and short videos because the idea is whatever is your preferred mm. style of learning, you have something that suits that um, context. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to ensure that people, Africans, as a matter of fact, have access to safety information at their fingertips. Wow, that is really thoughtful. So where do you see this app going and, you know, what's the impact that you hope to um, achieve? I want more people to become more safety conscious and reduce avoidable accidents. At the bottom of everything I do, it's about reducing avoidable accidents. Too many accidents happen that could have been avoided if only we had the right amount of information. For example, recently, I'm sure you heard of the incident of the oh, footballer yeah, who died on the pitch because his teammates mm. couldn't even do CPR. They were doing all sorts of funny things. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, knowledge and time is yeah. very important and emergency. If somebody then had known how to do CPR or if there was an AED present on that, um, mm. on that mm -hmm. sports field somewhere, you know, and someone knew how to use it to an extent, I want yeah. to believe that the guy would not die. So the goal is, the goal of the compass is to ensure that regardless of your location, because I keep getting requests from people in other African countries, South Sudan, Namibia, Sierra Leone, for me to teach them. And not everybody might be able to afford sure. to bring me to sure. their country to teach them, right? But if you have my app on your phone, you should be able to access content that would keep you um, ed educated, you know, so that just right there in your house, you're yeah. learning something that you could use. Practical things. So it's really very simplified. We always give actionable um, plans that people can use. Even, for example, in the podcast that we have, I'm speaking to safety professionals and I'm telling them my target audience is the average person that's not a safety professional. So you've got to simplify mm. this to everyday things. And when you listen to our podcast, you can see that they're very simple yeah. and they're very relatable. So regardless of who you are, you would always gain something tangible that you can begin to mm. use even that moment. So the, the goal is really to put simplified safety information at the fingertips of all Africans, regardless of their location. And regardless of their knowledge level. Um, I think I've listened to your podcast. I think I listened to the last one about safety around electricity. And I found it really, really, really um, insightful. And like you said, in a very simplified manner. So anybody could 
relate with it because of the examples that were used to pass the message along. So yeah, thank you very much on that. Um, yes. The annual school safety summit. This year will be the fourth yes. year that you'll be putting that together where educators in Lagos are trained on yeah. practical first aid skills and, of course, conversations with relevant stakeholders to provide solutions around safety challenges affecting school children. What has the impact been since you started this summit and where do you see this conference in the next five years? Okay, so the impact has actually been uh, more empowered teachers, educators, school owners and parents. And this is the reason. You see, many teachers, when they were being taught in teacher training college, they probably were not taught about the safety components of mm. running education. They were just taught about, you know, the education proper, you know, how how to teach, what are the way the thing, how to manage a school system, you know, and things like that. But that safety component, they do not really know. And so sometimes when we hear accidents happening in schools, you can't really fault them per se because they do not know and nobody made mm. sure that they knew. So there are a lot of them that have no idea. There are some who know, but for the majority, you know, they do not know. And so what we do at the School Safety Summit is trying to bridge that knowledge gap. So we bring all these educators together, then we bring stakeholders from the different um, agencies or safety professionals or child protection advocates so that there is that knowledge transfer. And the impact, the result has been amazing. I keep getting feedback from some of the teachers who have attended the summit telling me how what they learned were able to implement it in their school or were able to use it to save a life. For example, we had a case of someone who attended first aid training last year who was in a bus and another passenger started mm. to pass out. She was the one who took charge of the situation, told the driver to stop, brought out the lady from the vehicle, made sure that the woman had ventilation and then took care of her. And she had to write a post on Facebook talking about it and how the woman reached out to her some days later to say mm. she saved her life. You know, so when you, you get feedback like that, it makes you see that what you're doing is really important. We've also had the case of parents. She runs a special needs home okay. for children where she took what she learned from one of our sessions and she was able to create a safety system in her home to ensure that nothing would happen to any child in her care. You know, And she began to say that it was because of that training that she was able to achieve it. So these are the things that there has been the impact right, of the school safety summit. Going forward, we would like this to be done not just in yeah. Lagos like we currently do. We would like to be able to do it in different locations in the country so that it's not just um, Lagosians and those around here that benefit from it, but more people can have access okay. to it in their states. And I'm also looking at training more people who want to be child safety or school mm. safety professionals in different countries so that they can begin to replicate in their countries. So that's actually one of the things. Whenever I'm training um the other Africans who reach out to me, I always talk to them about creating an event that helps to um, pass on the message. And so it's my hope that in the coming years we begin to see versions of the School Safety Summit happening in their right. countries Thank you very too. much. Um, so with regards to um, designers and creating of product environments, um, buildings, how do you think health and safety professionals can collaborate better You know, for more you know, safety conscious products or more safety conscious buildings, you know, for members of our site. Okay, so I think that this is a collaboration that must and should always happen. Okay. So designers should have um, contact of health and safety professionals 
in the different areas so that if they need to do something, they can always seek professional advice and say, so this is what we want to do. Where do you think the loopholes are? Because ideally, before you create anything or open something up to the public, you should do a thorough risk assessment that's for safety professionals to be sure that there will be no harm to anyone. And that even if there is something that can cause harm, control measures are put in place to ensure that that doesn't even happen. But you see, if from the beginning, from the drawing board, the safety professional is having a conversation with the designer, those things will be sorted out before the building even comes up or before the program is set up or before whatever design um, design option yeah. you know is created. Because when you're able to talk through this plant, they're able to show you the loopholes and then you are able to um, make the right decision regarding your design. So I think it is a collaboration that must begin to happen so that we reduce avoidable incidents as much right. as possible. So what has been the biggest inspiration of your career? Which- hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would say it's um, being able to literally create hmm. something out of nothing. You know, when I started, I didn't really know what the potential for what I was doing was because I didn't really okay. see a to template to follow. So I was basically just, um, I used myself as okay. a guinea pig, right? I was learning on the go. I was checking what works and what doesn't work. So I started to do, because, you know, sometimes it's in the, most times actually, it's in the course of doing things that you get more clarity and you see what yeah. can work and what doesn't work. And then also I was able to watch some foreign professionals, see how to observe our own local problem then see how to fine-tune it to something that can work here in Nigeria and something that can also mm. be replicated in other African countries. So it, it really inspired me that we've been able to create something literally out mm. of out of nothing. Because yeah. this is 2020, right? When I started in 2016, there are some things I'm doing today that I didn't know I would do because it wasn't on the plan or okay. a part of it at the time. But a lot of things has evolved because, you know, it's in the course of doing, you begin to see where the problems are, you begin to see how to make things better. And I'm just happy at at how things have turned out. So even if I leave the safety profession today for any reason to move on to Mm. better things, right, I'll never forget Mm. the lesson I learned in this period. The fact that with um, focus, with diligence, you can literally just create something out of nothing and go to international yeah. recognition as it were, you know. Yeah, so that really awesome. inspires me. So proudest moment. Okay, so I've had quite a bit. What I find is that um, from one accomplishment to the other, you'd find that yeah. some pale in comparison to others, you know. And as you do, you see that something that was so fantastic today by tomorrow <laughs> ah, it's not so fantastic okay. <laughs> so uh, for me for today as at today in march 2020 my proudest moment <laughs> my proudest moment would be getting my child safety storybook in french so that french-speaking african children wow. can have access to it and developing my safety education app they are <laughs> they are they are um they are really things that make me smile because I never knew that I was going mm. to have a book in French mm. when I started, honestly. I didn't even know that that was mm. um, in need until my colleagues on the Mandela Washington Fellowship who were from French-speaking countries explained to me that the language of okay. instruction in their country was French. So even though I had written a fantastic book, I had cut off some people yeah. that would not be able to make use of it. And that collaboration led to um, 
the book being in French. And for the app thing, I consider myself mm. a non-techie person, right? But because I had done my research and I discovered that technology is one of the okay. important things for this decade. And so I knew that I had to infuse okay. technology into the work I do. So I had to mm. step out of my comfort zone and do it. Ordinary it would have been something that I would yeah. have probably paid someone to do, right? But because I'm trying to um, make myself comfortable okay. with doing tech tech, I, I, yes, wow. I had to do this myself. And um, I'm proud. Oh, oh, yes. Oh. Yes, I did. I just followed instructions. <laughs> That's very impressive. Um, all right. So tell us, what's been the biggest setback of your career? And, you know, how has it motivated you to be where you are today? Okay, so for me, I would say it was um, when I was trying to um, switch jobs in 2014. Remember, I'd mentioned earlier that I wanted to switch from yeah. aviation to oil and gas. So 2014, I applied to so many places. And they didn't even <laughs> call me to write a test. Like, at least let me write yeah. this. Let me even let people store my CV. <laughs> you know, but that didn't even happen. 2014, 2015. In fact, it was... Towards the in the last quarter of um, 2015, I received the last one from a company in South Africa, and I was so dejected mm-hmm. because that was my last hope, you know. So I was just so dejected that wow, what am I going to do? I've been trying to switch, you know, and um, yeah. nothing is happening, right? Well, it was actually in that moment of that um, dejection and all that that I had a divine encounter that redirected me and showed me the possibilities of what yeah. I'm currently doing today, you know? So since then it's been from one breath to another. And when I look back now, I see that if I had gotten into all those jobs I wanted to get, I wouldn't have begin, I wouldn't have mm. started to think the way I think now. I wouldn't have seen that there were, there were a group of people that needed safety knowledge and who were not getting it. I'd have just been focused on, you know, just working, um, in this oil and gas firm and helping them achieve their overall bottom line and not know that the average person on the street is not as safety mm. conscious as we want them to be. So I think that um, for me, that's one of the things that um, was instrumental in making awesome. me who I am today. Um, so if you could give the 18-year-old Ugochi one piece of advice, what would it be? Stay on track. Do not lose focus. Okay. Very important. So what's next for you in your career, um, in your life? What's next? Okay, so the next big thing for me is still under wraps because I'm still fine-tuning everything, right? It has already started um, working in the direction I want it to go, but um, I'm not ready to talk yeah. about it publicly yet. Maybe in the coming months, I'll share about it. But yes, I'm definitely working towards something um, that is big and will redirect um, the course of my life. All right, great. Uh, all right. So um, in one word, you know, I want you to describe what design means to you. So you make a sentence, design is, and you drop the word. Oh, Okay. Design is functional. That's powerful. That's really powerful. All right. So we're now in a segment of the show that I call the power of design. Um, In this segment, um, I try to highlight the need for more human-centered design practices that can improve the quality of life of members of our society by exposing bad design practices that we regularly encounter in our daily lives. So my question to you now is, in your work as a health and safety professional, 
what kind of design mistakes or flaws have you continually observed that has greatly affected the quality of life of the end users, but they are unaware of that? Okay. I would say for me, it's the way we build our houses and kitchens, most especially. So we still keep having a high case of accidents in the kitchen resulting from gas cylinders, cooking gas cylinders. So many houses are built without a consideration of the location of the gas cylinders. Mm. So these gas cylinders end up being kept inside the kitchen. And ideally, it is supposed to be outside in a, vent- in a well-ventilated area. Well, now imagine that you are living upstairs in this house and this house does not have a balcony in the kitchen. When you step out from your sitting room, you have this corridor and then the next room is a kitchen. So where exactly are you yeah. going to keep your gas cylinder? You'd have to keep it inside with you, right? And we know that that's unsafe. So that makes people to begin to come up with other methods to ensure safety. For example, I know of a family where when anybody finishes cooking, mm. they have to turn off the gas cylinder itself, not just the gas cooker, because yeah. they, that space of putting the gas yeah. cylinder outside yeah. is not available. That option is not there, right? So you see, if these things are part of the, um, the conversation from the beginning of the design, we won't be having that. It would mean that to be standard practice that every kitchen must have a certain um, um, Mm. design that would enable gas cylinders to be outside but still able to perform wow. its function so inside um, the house. I really, really enjoyed this that? episode. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for speaking with me. Um, it's been a pleasure. And I'm sure, you know, we would have more conversations in the future. All right. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you so have much for inviting me. If you want to hear more interesting episodes of Africa Design Radio, head now to our page on all platforms where you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please do give us a review. You can also write to us at africadesignradio at gmail.com or follow us on social media at africa underscore design underscore radio. I'm Chibweze and you've been listening to Africa Design Radio. Thank you.